That was shot from my training video I did earlier this week. So, no. Anyway, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. In fact, on your way out today, we want to encourage you with something. We have a photo booth set up outside with boxing gloves, and, and husbands and wives in particular, we like for you to kind of get, yeah, something like this. That would be great. Um, yeah, so we want to take your picture, and we're going to hashtag it East Fight Club. And so please take them, you take it off the screen now. That's, that's enough, all right? So, so we're glad you're here. Now, here, let me just tell you this. We're, we're going to begin a multiple, multiple weeks I'm talking about Fight Club, and, uh, and I know for some of you, immediately you know this is going to be a marriage series, but I want to I say something to everybody in the room, that if you find yourself in the room today, and you are single, but you have a desire to be married one day, this series is for you. You're going to learn some things that you need to take really good notes with, and you need to kind of archive those, and when that moment comes for you in your life, you're able to take these and apply them to any relationship, your dating relationship, and a future marriage relationship, because these are extremely amazing biblical principles. And you may find yourself this morning, you're single, but not by choice. Maybe you've been down a path of a divorce or you're on a path of a divorce. And listen, let me just say to you that uh, you need to take some notes as well because one day God may bring a special person back into your life and you may give this thing called marriage another shot. And if you want to do it God's way and the right way, there's some notes that you may need to take. And maybe you're here this morning. So you know what, Doug? Listen, I've seen too many married couples. I am single and that is my lot in life, and I'm going to stay single for the rest of my life. And you may find that you feel you're that way uh, right now. But here's what I want to say to you. You are probably going to be godly counsel for somebody, so these notes can help you uh, kind of instruct or encourage someone. But also, I'm not going to tell you which week because you'll skip until that week. But one week, I'm going to talk about the beauty of singleness, living a life of singleness. And you're going to want to be here and be for that. And obviously, this series is for married couples. Those that us that have walked an aisle stood in a church or on a beach or wherever you stood, and you made some vows and you made some commitments, and you said, till death do us what? And sometimes you thought that probably might come a little sooner in their life than what it should have, right? Because one thing I know about marriage is this, is that we, if you're married this morning and you agree with what I'm about to say, I want you to shout amen. All of our marriages need help. Amen. Now, there was a lot more women voices in that than <laughs> men voices, right? We do. Let's take a little quick test. How many of you would say, now we're not going to call it a fight just yet, but how many of you would say, hey, my spouse and I, my, my husband or my wife, we've had a disagreement. What I mean by disagreement is we've not seen eye on something. There might have been things said that shouldn't have been said. There might have been feelings hurt that shouldn't have been hurt, and that has happened within the last month. Let me see a show of hands. Okay, great, great. Okay, so, so some of you are being honest. I appreciate that. How many of you would say, okay, that's happened within the last week? Okay, yeah, some of you got both hands raised. Okay, so, so now if I were to ask you, don't raise your hand, how many happened on the way to church? We would all go, that's probably a lot of us, right? Because especially if you have small kids, I mean, it's tense all the time, isn't it? And here's the thing about it. If you're married, here's what you know. All of us know this. If you've been married, if you long to be married, if you want to be one day married again, here's what we all know, that in a relationship, there is always tension, always tension. And so you have to make a decision, and this is the whole premise of the series. The series we're about to walk through, there is one thought that's going to carry us all the way through, and it's this thought. It's a decision that every single one of us have to make. We have to choose, are we going to fight in our marriage, or are we going to fight for our marriage? That's the threat. If you want, listen, if you say, well, I want to fight in my marriage, that's easy to do, right? 
If you want to fight in your marriage, let me give you some tools how to do that. You ready? If you want to fight in your marriage, all you have to do, first and foremost, all you have to do is to be really thorough and pointing out their imperfections. What is wrong with them? If you want to fight in your marriage, just tell your wife, tell your husband all their faults, all their failures, and what's wrong with them. That will inevitably create a fight in your marriage. Amen? Yeah, all the men are like, amen. You know that, right? Another, another way is just make sure that you view your spouse as the enemy. If you view them as the enemy, that'll be a great way. It's an incredible way for you to make sure that you're fighting in your marriage all the time. Just see them as the enemy. Another way that you can fight in your marriage is if you blame your spouse for your reasons and your feelings of lack of fulfillment. I am not fulfilled in my marriage, in my career, and it's all your fault. All you got to do is tell them that, and you'll fight in your marriage. I mean, listen, fighting your marriage is a piece of cake to do. Fighting for your marriage is not. See, if you're going to fight for your marriage, you've got to change the narrative a little bit. Instead of pointing out their faults and their failures and their imperfections and how they don't fulfill a lot in your life, here's what you have to do if you're going to fight for your marriage. You have to begin to ask this question, Lord, what's wrong with me? Lord, would you change me? God, would you shape me? See, that's very different, isn't it? See, if I'm going to fight in it, all i got to do is point the finger. If I'm going to fight for it, the finger begins to be pointed at me. What's wrong with me? Where am I struggling? And see, my prayer as we think about this, as you think about this, whether you're single or you're divorced or you want to be married again or you're married today, listen, I want us to think about this. You have a choice to make when you're married, either to fight in your marriage or to fight for your marriage. And my prayer and my goal is that by the time we're done with this series, that you're able to hear this one basic truth and you're able to make this one commitment. Here it is. You ready? You might want to write this down, that you can make this commitment when this series is over. And you can say this, my marriage or my future marriage, will go beyond my wildest imagination when I focus on my responsibilities rather than my rights. Now, I'm going to say it again. I want you to write this down. If you're not writing down, you need to write this down because this is the commitment and this is the point and the truth. I hope we get all six weeks and it's a truth I want us to be able to lean on as we finish this series in a few weeks is this, that you're able to say my marriage or my future marriage will go beyond my wildest imagination when I focus on my responsibilities rather than my rights. And let me give you a bit of insight here. If you want to fight in your marriage, if you want to fight in your marriage, typically what happens is you're fighting in your marriage because you're focused on your rights, what they owe you. You ever been around a marriage like that where the marriage is all about the other person owing them something? Well, I've done this for you, so you what? Owe me something. And if you want to fight in your marriage, all you have to do is to pick up your rights and to push out your rights and to tell your spouse that you have the right to do this, the right to behave this way, because they simply owe you. But if you want to fight for your marriage, it's not about your rights. It's about your responsibility of what is my role in this marriage? What is my God-given role? So what we're going to do in the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to fight, not in your marriage, because you've probably got that perfected. We're going to talk about, that's right, Ms. Sylvia, they know, don't they? They don't want to laugh because they know it's true. We want to talk about what does it mean to fight for our marriage. If you're with me this morning, church, say I'm with you. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Now, we're going to look at a passage in Philippians 2 that has nothing to do with marriage. Well, you say, Doug, well, that's really bizarre. No, it's not bizarre because here's what I know about Scripture. Truth is truth, Amen. 
And if it's true about what God says about me and how I'm to live my life and how I'm to, you know, what, if, he's, if it's truth about things I'm to put into my life and, and live out in my behavior, isn't that same truth also applied to my marriage? My relationships, my friendships, absolutely. And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2 today, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to fight for our marriage. So I'm going to ask you today, would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word? We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection of sympathy, complete my joy by being of what? Same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of who? Others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray today, Lord, that there would be some marriages that we would decide today that we're no longer going to fight in our marriage. We're going to fight for our marriage. We're no longer going to elevate our rights and act like the other person owes us anything, but we're going to elevate our responsibilities and fulfill our God-given roles in marriage. Lord, be with us. Bless us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage, there are only two things I want to pull from it. If we're going to fight for our marriage instead of in our marriage, number one, we need to lean on Jesus. Number one, we need to lean on Jesus. Look at me back in verse one and two again. It says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Be the same mind. Now, what he's saying here is like, there's some things that, that Jesus, if you look at Jesus and you think about your relationship with Christ, there are some things that we enjoy in our relationship with Christ, and we'll get to those things in a minute. But there's some qualities in our relationship with Christ that you and I get to enjoy. And what he's saying is, if you're enjoying those things, if you can find these things like encouragement, comfort, if you can find that in your relationship with Christ, I want you to be of the same mind. In other words, I want you to invest those same ideas in your relationships. If you're enjoying our relationship because of these things we'll talk about in a moment, if you're enjoying it because of that, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make that part of your life. I want you to make that part of your friendships. I want you to make that part of your dating relationship. I want you to make those things part of your marriage. Wherever you find yourself this morning, he's like, listen, if you have found these things to be true of your relationship with Christ, make sure you're of the same mind. Make sure that you make sure that those are the same things that are part of your relationships. Now, why would Paul tell us that? Because Paul understands something, and you and I understand something, especially as it comes to marriage. We can't do this on our own. Listen, I know we joke a lot about marriage sometimes, and we shouldn't, but we are difficult people to live with, aren't we? Come on, aren't you, aren't you, are you a difficult person? Say amen. amen. Okay. 
We know we are. I joke with Sonia all the time about, you know, I joke up on the stage, she's, but really, I know that I'm the difficult person. And you know how I know I'm the difficult person? Because I've raised my boys, and I can see, at least in my oldest two, not David because he hasn't married yet, thankfully, and so my oldest two, James and Daniel, I can see some of myself in them, and I'm always spending my time with them. Listen, you need to make sure that you aren't condescending to your wife. Why? Because they've seen me be condescending to their mother. And I'm just saying that we all need help. In fact, let me say it differently. If you're married today, or you hope to be married one day, we all need divine intervention. We need God to step in. We need God to show up and God to do some great things. Because here's what I know about all of us. Men and women don't think the same. Is that, is that like a, is that like blow your mind just when I said that? I mean, men and women, I mean, wasn't there a book that came out that sold millions and millions of copies called, I think it was called Women Are From Venus and Men Are From Mars? I mean, at the end of the day, men and women don't think alike, do we? No, come on, do men and women think alike? No. In fact, if you, like, I've talked to many couples, I've been in ministry 31 years, and for a lot of men, when they first get married, and, they, and they're married, if you said the word intimacy to them, immediately it goes to the physical side of the relationship. And if you talk to ladies that get married, and you talk about the quality of a relationship, they look to their husbands as maybe their rescuer, their knight in shining armor, their savior, and then they find out their flaw too. And now we have tension, right? Because ultimately, men and women don't think the same. We, we come to the relationship, we need different things. Some are more emotional, some are more, you know, you know for example, I remember there's a book that used to come out called, uh, came out many years ago, called The Five Love Languages, Right? And here's what I know about Doug. I know what my love language is, but the problem is I try to love Sonia with my love language instead of her love language, right? And so I need some help. We need some help. One thing that we have to do is we have to lean on Jesus if we're going to fight for a marriage. And if we're going to lean on him, that means we need to make the qualities mentioned in verse 1 and 2 qualities that are part of our life. Let's go back and look there. He said, first of all, if there's any encouragement in Christ, do you find encouragement in your relationship with Christ? Do you find encouragement in that? Like maybe you feel down and you read through scripture. Do you find places when you read scripture, when you open God's word, do you find places that remind you of your value? Do you find places that remind you of how much he loves you? Kent talked about it a while ago. I mean, he loved you so much. What did he do for you? He went to a cross and died for you. You may feel down and dumped, and you read scripture, and you're reminded that I'm deeply loved. I'm beloved by God. I'm accepted by God. I've been forgiven by God. I'm, ex- I'm adopted by God. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir with Jesus. I mean, you read scripture, and you find encouragement in the, fa- in the relationship that you have with Christ. He says, listen, that same kind of encouragement you find in Christ needs to be part of our life. So I'm asking you, do you find encouragement in your marriage? Specifically, let me talk to husbands. Do you, do you find time and you make time to encourage your wife? I don't mean, boy, honey, that's a great supper. And then you move on. That's not what I'm talking about. Do you really encourage your wife? And you say, Doug, what do you mean by that? Well, let me tell you a couple things. Number one, do you speak well to her? Now, I'm just going to tell you, one of the battles I had because my dad was this way and I still fight that battle is that sometimes when I'm thinking one way and Sonia's thinking another way, my words can tend to be condescending and degrading. Even though I don't intend it to be, I don't want it to be, and it breaks my heart that I do it, I still battle that. And do you speak well to your wife? Is the words you use build them up and create value in their life or does it tear them down? Now, the better person to ask is your wife, husbands. Because you may think it has no impact, but it does. 
You may think the way you say it is the sweetest, most kind and generous way of saying it, and the tone you use for her is what totally destroys what you've said. You need to ask them, are you, are you speaking well to them? And another way to look at that is, husbands, do you speak well of her? Now, men, we can all admit, we've all been in those circles with other men, right? And they talk about their wives. You know what I'm talking about, men? Now, I'm not talking about you, because I know you would never do it, but we're talking about other guys we know, that in the locker room or at work, and they talk about their wives. What are some things, men, I'm going to put you on the spot, that other men, not you, because you're awesome, but other men might say about their wives when they're talking about their wives? They cook bad. Okay, great. Joey, that was a little quick on that one. All right, so. But I do a lot of marriage counseling if you need it. So anyway, okay, what's, what's something else they might say? You got other guys like, I'm not saying a word. I, I mean, I'm so puckered up, I'm not saying anything, right? Listen, how about this? How about she's a nag? You ever heard that one before? And the one that always gets me is, especially when you talk to an older generation guy, yep, guys, time to go home, the old ball and chain, right? Here's what I would say to you. If you don't speak well about her, you will never speak well to her. Did you hear me on that, guys? If we don't speak well about her, we will never speak well to her. You need to be careful that the words that come out of your mouth when you're around other men are words that build up and speak value about your wife. Why? Because God has given her to you, and she is valuable. So husbands, we need to bring encouragement to the marriage. What about you ladies? Do you speak well to your husband? Are you a nag? Do you get on him all the time? Do you like, you know, I don't need husbands nodding their head right now. Husbands, just stay still right now. Act like you got a brace on. You know, just, just be still. I mean, we're going to walk through this journey here so for several weeks. So just kind of be, stay with me here. But wives, do you do that? Do you encourage your husband? Do you speak well to him? And do you speak well of him? And for example, wives, if I were to, to text your four BFFs and said, what is your impression of you, your person's husband? What would they say to me? See, that answer will tell you if you're speaking well of him to your friends. And all I'm trying to say is, in Christ, in that relationship, we enjoy encouragement from him. We enjoy that he makes us feel valuable and loved and significant. And in our marriages, there has to be encouragement. If we're going to lean on Jesus, there needs to be encouragement. Also, there needs to be, the second thing he mentions, is there any comfort in Christ? Is there any comfort? Do you find comfort in Christ? You should. One thing we should find comfort in is the fact that his presence is with us. Amen? He's with us. And when we sense God's presence and we're going through difficulty, we feel a sense of support. We feel some assistance there. And we feel like some consolation, like he's consoling us through difficulties. Men, do you bring comfort or conflict to your marriage? When your wife is going through some stuff, do you find yourselves supporting them, assisting them, consoling them? Are you like, hey, that's, you know, what I went through today was way worse than what you went through, so you need to build a bridge and get over it. Let's talk about my issues. Now, we may not say it that way, but we act like that sometimes, don't we? Are you a source of comfort in your marriage or conflict? What about you wives? Are you a source of comfort or are you a source of conflict in your marriage? See, if we enjoy comfort from Christ because of his presence, because we know that he sustains us, that he supports us, assists us, and consoles us when times of difficulty, does our marriage look like that? And when you're struggling, do you feel like you can go to your spouse and they are a source of comfort or source of conflict? Another thing he mentions here, he says, if there's any participation in the Spirit, he's talking about fellowship. Do you and I have fellowship with God because of Christ? 
Come on, church, do we have fellowship with Christ? Yes, we do. And that fellowship means connection and growth. And what we all know about our walk with Jesus is this, is that because he's in us, because he's our Savior, we enjoy the privilege of that fellowship. And the more we spend time with him, the greater the connection and the greater the growth. Amen? Now, what about your marriage? Do you spend more time together or not any time together? And I know what some of you are going to tell me out of the gate. Well, Doug, you just don't know, because I know a lot of you are this way. We've got kids, and kids suck the life out of you, right? I mean, you know it's true. I don't mean that in a negative way. They suck your time and energy. I mean, I watch some of you guys that have young kids, and I'm like, man, I wish I had the energy you had because you guys are like exceptional. I'm like, when my day was over, I was ready just to pass out. I don't care where I passed out. I was just done, and Sonny did all the work. And so, I mean, I get that. I mean, it's tough being a parent, isn't it? But I want to remind you something. In the economy of God, the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with Christ. And if you're married, the second most important relationship in your life is your spouse, not your kids. Now, I know when your kid's a bed baby, you can't go, all right, kiddo, we're going to go out on a date. Hope it works out well for you. Stay in the crib. Don't get out. I understand that. I know that doesn't happen that way. But do you carve out time to spend together. I mean, real time. I'm not talking about going out and spending all your time talking about the kids or talking about what school they're going to get into or what, what you're going to do for their birthday. I mean, I'm, not, I'm talking about do you spend real time to build connection and growth in your marriage, men and women? Do you do that? If not, you should. And then also he mentions one more thing here. He says, talking about relationship with Christ, he says, um, any affection and sympathy. In other words, do, you, do we feel any tenderness and compassion in our relationship with Christ? Yes. Do you feel like in your relationship with Christ that you know how your heart is wired and you feel like over and over again God shows you grace? That's a question I would love for you to answer. Do you feel like God shows you grace? Yes. What about in your marriage? Do you show your spouse grace? Do you show them tenderness? Do you show them empathy? See, the whole point of what I want to get to today, as we look at our relationship with Christ, Paul lays out for us qualities that we get to enjoy in our walk with Christ. We get to experience his encouragement. We get to experience his comfort. We get to experience that fellowship with him. We get to experience his tenderness and his empathy in our lives. But if that's true, that we get to experience that, we should make sure that that's part of our life too, that our relationships, in particular in this series, our marriages experience that same kind of encouragement experience that same kind of comfort, experience that same kind of fellowship, experience that same kind of tenderness and empathy. See, if we're going to have a marriage where we fight for it instead of fight in it, we must lean on Jesus and apply these qualities to our marriage. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to go to the second point. Which one of those qualities in your marriage and on your side are you struggling with? Is it the encouraging side? Is it the comfort side? Because you bring way more conflict than comfort. Is it the fellowship, the time side? You're not spending time with them? Or is it the grace side? Which, on your side, no, I don't want you to go, well, for her, it's, I'm asking that. I'm asking for you, the individual in your marriage, which one of these qualities do you need to be working on? Because remember, if I'm going to pick up my right, my responsibilities rather than my rights, it begins with what? What's wrong with me, Right? Second thing I want you to notice in the passage, not only do we need to lean on Jesus, but we need to be like Jesus. Look what he says here in verse 2 again. 
complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord and of one mind. He says basically this, I want you to be like Christ. And he tells us what it means to be like Christ. First, he says, we need to have the same mind. We need to make sure that we have the mind of Christ. And he tells us what that mind is in verse 3 through 5. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Verse 5, have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He said, listen, I don't only want you to lean on Jesus and have these qualities in your life. I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to have the same mind as Jesus had. Well, Doug, what is that mind? And we tell this here. First of all, it's a mind of humility. You know what humility does? Humility says, I'm going to live my life with zero selfish ambition. Now, when you look at the life of Jesus, was Jesus selfish or was Jesus selfless? Selfless. And if we're going to have a marriage where we are being like Christ, we need to have the same mind. We need to have a mind of humility, one that we just choose that says, I'm not going to be driven by selfish ambition. Listen to me, especially if you're single. Can I tell you the number one problem in most marriages that I talk to today, including my marriage sometimes, is that we all function around the big I. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I need. It's all about what I desire. And what we learn from Paul is that's the wrong thing to focus on, right? If we're going to be like Christ, we've got to have the same mind. We've got to have a mind of humility. He says, and it makes other, view others and value others as more significant. Do you view your spouse as more valuable than you? Well, I don't know, Doug. I'm, I'm the breadwinner. I, I put the bacon on the table, right? I mean, you can think of every old expression you can think of about what you've done. But listen, do you view her and do you see her and you build her up by telling her that she brings more value and you treat her as more valuable than you do yourself? That's what it means to have a mind of humility, is to value them. Does that look like your marriage? He also says if we're going to have the same mind, it's not only about a mind of humility, it's a mind of investment. Did you notice there he says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others? So humility says, I value you more than I value myself. It, uh, this idea of investment means I'm going to be more concerned with your interest than my interest. I'll be more focused on what you want to do. For example, if I ask you, man, and I'll use me as an example, what would be the perfect day date for you? What would that look like with your spouse? Well, I can tell you what it would look like for me. You ready? It would start with probably 18 holes of golf in the morning, right? And somewhere after 18 holes of golf, it might slide on over into maybe Golden Corral, maybe Five Guys, maybe a carnivore place to eat like Texas Day Brazil. That's what it would look like for me. And then we would top it off with an action movie, probably Sylvester Stallone blowing a lot of stuff up. And that's what the perfect day date for me would look like. Guess what? My wife hates golf. She can't stand eating places that's got tons of meat. She doesn't like meat. She can eat vegetables all day long. So that's her thing. And movies, I mean, she like, hey, if you want me to take a good nap, we'll go to a movie. Listen, so if I planned a day date for us and I put those elements in there, whose interests am I most concerned with? My interest. And most of us do our marriages focused on our interests instead of the interest of other people, instead of the interest of our spouse. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to have the same mind, a mind of humility that values them as more important. And we've got to have a mind where we're investing, that we're making sure their interests trump our interests. Are you with me on that, church? 
And then he says this. Now, if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to have the same mind, but we also have to have the same love. Look with me verse 6 through 8. He defines his love. Jesus, who thought he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and he, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me tell you about the love of Christ. You ready? First of all, Jesus became a servant, right? See, the mind of Christ is humility. He values us even more than he valued his own life. The mind of Christ was about investment, being more concerned with our interests than his own interest. But here we see the love of Christ, the same love where he became a servant, where he was driven by meeting the needs of other people. It wasn't just about interest. It wasn't just about uh, their value. It was about meeting the needs of others over meeting his own needs, placing others first. And I just want to ask you, in your relationships, marriage, dating, friendships, are you like this? Do we have this same love of Christ where we have a heart to serve, where we are driven to meet the needs of the other person? Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm really good at letting Sonia know what I need. Anybody else like that? I mean, I'm really good at telling her I need this and I need that. But what points do we pause and go, what do you really need? I mean, what is it that you really need emotionally, spiritually, physically? What, what is it that you need for me as a husband to be the husband that you need, that you can be the kind of wife that God wants you to be? What do you need? When's the last time you ask your spouse that? What do you need? See, what we learn here from this passage is if we're going to be like Christ, we've got to have the same mind of humility and investment, but we've got to have the same love, a love that has a heart of service. Do you serve your spouse? Do you serve your spouse? Well, I went to the grocery store. That's not what I'm talking about. Also, we need to have a heart of obedience. You know, Jesus was obedient to the Father, and where did his obedience take him? To the cross, right? I want you to notice something about Jesus. Jesus gave up a throne for a cross, didn't he? He gave up a throne for a cross. What does that mean? Jesus laid down his rights as king, and he picked up his responsibilities as savior. Did you hear that? He laid down his rights as king, and he picked up his responsibility as Savior. And if we are going to be like Jesus, we've got to have the same love that's willing to be a servant, but also that love that's willing to be obedient, to lay down our rights and pick up our responsibilities. But there's one more thing when you read this passage I want you to notice. Being like Jesus means we have the same mind, the same love, but it also means having the same resolve. It's that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Was there a moment that Jesus was like, you know what? There's probably this is not going to work out for me. You know, this whole getting beat up thing, I don't care about that too much. This whole nailing me to a cross and putting me up, and I'm not, I'm not too in on that. So, so maybe we're going to push the pause button, and we're going to think of another scenario to bring salvation to the world. Do you read that in scripture at all? No. Jesus was all in. We need to only be the same in our, our mind and the same in our love, but we need to have the same resolve. Jesus was all in. And in your marriage, are you all in? Are you, I mean, like, are you like, you know what? There's sometimes, like we're going to see in a minute, there's sometimes I want to punch you in the face. But at the end of the day, I love you. I care for you. You're the love of my life. And I am all in. If you've never felt that about your spouse, you haven't been married long enough. But I'm all in. 
And I'm just telling you, we not only need to lean on Jesus and make sure these qualities are part of our life, but we need to make sure that we are like Jesus, that we have the same mind of humility and investment, that we have that same love that says, I want to serve you and I want to obey you. I want to lay down my rights and pick up my responsibilities, but I have the same resolve. I'm all in. I'm going to keep the D word off the table because I'm all in. I am all in. Now, if you're single or you've been divorced, you, especially if you're divorced, you know the pain of that, but it doesn't mean you can't commit to that moving forward. And if you're married, it doesn't mean you can't commit to it right now. Are you all in? And so if we're going to fight for a marriage, we need to make sure that we not only lean on Jesus, but that we become more like Jesus. And so here's what I want to do this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, I want to tell you some really bad news for a moment. Your marriage is never going to be what it should be. Because for a marriage to work, it takes three. You, your spouse, and Jesus. It takes all three. If you take Jesus out of the equation, listen, I mean this with a lot of love in my heart, it will fail. It will. Why? I've got somebody that I know, they've been married 50 years, and they're neither one Christian. Yeah, but I guarantee if we could sit down and talk to them, you would find out the pain and the stress they went through, that at some point in their marriage, they decide just to coexist. They decide to be roommates. They decided that if they look back, there's so much fulfillment they missed because of that. I'm telling you, if you want your marriage to succeed, it takes Christ. And the only way to do that is by inviting in to be the Lord and Savior of your life. We saw today what Jesus has done for us. He died on a cross from us. And if you don't know him today, will you just simply say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me my sin and come into my life to be my boss, my master, and my savior. And if you will pray that this morning, he will come into your life and change your life and change your eternity. And we want to know about that. But if you're here this morning and you say, Doug, I know Christ and I'm a believer, I want to challenge you with something today. I want to challenge you to do this today. Would you choose to lay down your rights as the husband and wife, and would you choose to pick up your responsibilities? See, when I pick up my rights, that means I want to always be right. That means I want it my way. That means my views trump your views. When I pick up my responsibilities, being right doesn't matter that much anymore. Picking up my responsibilities means I want to be the godly husband or wife that God has called me to be, and I want to be responsible in that. So I'm going to ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you and your, your, your spouse are here, and you guys are, you love the Lord together, I want to ask you, would you take some time this morning and go, okay, if we're going to lean on Jesus, which one of these qualities are we missing? Be honest. Have a conversation. Are we missing encouragement? Are we missing comfort? Are we missing fellowship? Are we missing this, this, this tenderness and this grace? What are we missing in our marriage? And if we're going to be like Jesus... How do I have that same mind of humility and investment? How do I have that same love of of being a servant and obedient? How do I have that same resolve? Then I want to ask you to do something for me this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're really committed to fight for your marriage and not in your marriage, I want you to do something for me. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And I'm going to invite you, if you want to come pray, listen, listen, your marriage may be thriving, and you're like, man, I never thought it could be this well. Well, listen, you're a prime target for the enemy. And maybe what you need to do is come to this altar, get on your knees with your spouse, and pray, Lord, would you help us lean on you? Lord, would you help us be more like you? So I'm going to challenge you, if you're married today, and you can find your way to the front, and you can find your way to pray, I challenge you to do that. 
but also challenge you, especially if you're married today or if you're single or divorced and you say, Doug, if, if moving forward, if I ever am married again, I want to spend my life fighting for it, not in it. I'm going to ask you something you're going to think is really cheesy, but to me, it's super important. I'm going to ask you to come to one of these baskets and I have something for you. We have a keychain that's a boxing glove. I don't want you to take it and hit your spouse with it. What I want you to do is take it. Each one of you, we have enough for everybody. Take it and put it somewhere. And every time you see it, ask yourself this question. Am I fighting in it? Am I fighting for it? And I hope this peace becomes a peace of conviction for all of us. That God has blessed us with the person he's put into our life. And maybe we ought to stop fighting in it and start fighting for it. But you know where it begins? With me. With you. Not your spouse. So let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. Everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. <clears throat> I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can look at the truth we see in Philippians 2. And we can see this powerful truth about the relationship we have with you. The qualities that we enjoy from encouragement to the comfort to the, the fellowship to the grace you show us. But we also see the challenge that Paul gives us as believers to make sure we have the same mind you have, one of humility and, and investing in others' interests over our own. That we have the same love that you have, Jesus. A love that shows up as a servant and lays down their rights and picks up their responsibilities. But Lord, I also thank you that today we're able to see that we need to have the same resolve that Jesus had, that he was all in. So Lord, I pray today for marriages. I pray for those that are single that want to be married. I pray for those that have been married and either divorced and maybe in the process of or whatever, whatever they find themselves today. I pray that we would look to the message today and go, okay, listen, God has a plan for marriage. And if I want a marriage that's going to thrive and be all that God wants it to be, I've got to lean on Jesus, and I've got to make sure I become more like Jesus. So God, I pray for those believers today, those married couples, that today we would make that commitment. Today we might grab this silly little takeaway, this boxing glove keychain, and then we might place it somewhere so that every time we see it, we would ask ourselves, am I going to fight for it? I'm going to fight in it. I pray for singles today, Lord, and that they would look at today's message and realize that now they are better equipped for what you might have them down the, the pike. Maybe they're in a dating relationship now and they don't see any of these qualities. And so maybe they need to change some things in that relationship or maybe somebody needs to be kicked to the curb and go, I got to start over. This is not working out. But whatever it is, Lord, they would make a real commitment to you that if you bless them eventually in this area of matrimony and marriage, that they too are going to fight for it instead of fighting in it. God, I just pray today. I pray that you would just break our hearts. We are all so good at fighting in our marriage. And most of us, including this guy on the stage, stink sometimes at fighting for it. God, would you break us this morning? Would you just convict us? We need you, Lord. We need divine intervention. Even for the strong marriages. We need you. We love you, Lord. And to your name we pray. Amen. Now look this way just for a moment. If you want to come with your spouse, your marriage may be rocking strong or struggling. It doesn't matter. Would you come and pray and say, Lord, would you help us lean more on you? Would you help us 
be more like you, and then grab one of these boxing glove keychains and just put it somewhere safe to remind you. Maybe this morning you need more than just come here. You need to pray with some people. I'm going to ask Pat and Willie if they can kind of show up over here, and Jason and Kelly, if they can show up by the, the, uh, the curtains over there. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you're really struggling this morning. You could be single, divorced, or maybe in your marriage. You just need some real prayers this morning. We would love for them to be over there so you could spend some time praying with them. But my main challenge is this. We all know marriage is tough. And we all know that we need divine intervention. And we all know that the fixing what's broken begins with us. The question is, will we surrender ourselves to the Lord today? Will we say, Lord, fix me? So if you need to come to the altar, it's open. If you need to stay right where you're at, if you want to bring your spouse, it doesn't matter. But just make sure in this moment that we respond as the Lord might be leading us as we continue to worship.